Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Today's episode was recorded live in partnership with the CGIAR Research Program on Climate Change, Agriculture, and Food Security, CCAFs, ahead of COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland. I moderate a panel discussion that takes a deep dive into the nationally determined contributions as they relate to food and agriculture. The Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs, are the backbone of the Paris Climate Agreement. They are what each country brings to the table in terms of their own contribution to climate action. Collectively, it was the goal of the 2015 Paris Agreement that the NDCs would add up to put the world on track to limit global warming to under 2 degrees Celsius. We are not there. Yet. But in today's panel discussion, a diverse group of experts helps to explain what more can be done in agriculture, land use, and food systems to drive ambition in climate change and give a needed boost to the NDCs. And here is that conversation taped live on Wednesday, October 27th. Thank you, and thank you all for participating in today's event. My name is Mark Leon Goldberg. I'm the editor of UN Dispatch and host of the Global Dispatches podcast, and it is my pleasure to moderate today's panel discussion as a live taping of the podcast. With COP26 just days away, the status of the NDCs is at the very top of the global agenda, but are the NDCs meeting expectations? Are they ambitious enough and transparent enough to drive necessary change? Most importantly, what is being done on the ground to achieve higher ambition? Here with me today to explore these questions and more is an excellent panel whom I will now introduce. Rebecca Carter is Acting Director for Climate Resilience Practice at the World Resources Institute. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Hans Loth is Global Head of UN Environment Partnership at Rabobank. Welcome. Klumo Zinyangeri is an Agriculture Specialist with the World Bank. Welcome. Thank you. And Martina Fleckenstein is Global Policy Manager for Food at the Worldwide Fund for Nature. I'll have some questions for the panelists, then I will turn things over to Sinero Costa Jr., Science Officer for Low Emissions Development at CCAFs, who will take your questions from the audience. And with that, let us begin. Uh, my first question will be to you, Klomos and Yengeri. Given the World Bank's support for the development NDCs, what more would you have expected to see in the NDCs? Uh, thanks very much, Mark, um, and uh, good day to everyone. I just want to start off with a point of what I think has really been uh, positive, at least one thing that I've observed with the updated uh, NDCs. 
uh, as the bank, we were supporting a number of our client countries to update their NDCs. And one of the things that we really wanted to see was that these NDCs will become more economy, right? So going beyond the limited sectors that we find in the first round, and this, of course, would help countries to explore more opportunities to reduce emissions and to not omit important sectors such as agriculture and food, and, of course, present opportunities for them to raise ambition. And I would say some countries have been able to do that and have been able to raise ambition, and I think this is a good thing. But despite this progress, I think you know it is very clear that ambition is still not as high as we need it to be. The current commitments still take us above uh, a two-degree world, and so we need agent and bold action, including through transformation of our agriculture and food systems, because doing so will help to bring climate change under control, safeguard our environment, improve our food security and nutrition, and also create more inclusive economies. So in short, I think if we, if we are to meet Paris targets, agriculture and food needs to be more strongly embedded in countries' decarbonization strategies than they are now. Uh, thank you. Uh, and Hans Loth, to you next. How can the private banking system help address the goals of the Paris Agreement and these NDCs for the food and agriculture sector? What is the reality on the ground for financing of climate action? Yeah, thank you, Mark. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Um, I'll keep it simple and not uh, migrate to banking jargon uh, today, but what is uh, pretty clear, and some speakers have alluded to that today already, is that um, for a more sustainable food and agriculture sector, uh, finance is needed, more finance is needed. Um, there's a funding gap, and depending on how you calculate, it's easily uh, $100 billion per year plus. Um, and public finance is not enough. Uh, private finance can help, um, permitting that it's uh, de-risked by public finance properly. And we call that blended finance. So that's just an opportunity that is out there um, for private sector, private finance, impact funds, banks to step in and to help remedy that funding gap. It's uh, the food and agriculture sector as such. Um, it's underbanked. Um, that's not unknown, but especially the transformation, the transition that we spoke about earlier today needs a change in business models, and that needs finance. And in that finance, there's always risk, and in transition, there's risk. And that's exactly where public finance can de-risk and help private sector catalyze and come in with more. And that's how on the ground this could really be a game changer, Mark. Back to you. Okay, thank you. Uh, and Martina Fleckenstein, to you. Uh, understanding that the Worldwide Fund for Nature played a major role in supporting action commitments at the UN Food Systems Summit just last month, how can the outcomes from that summit contribute to strengthening food systems approaches to the NDCs? To answer very short, uh, let me point out three, three points. First of all, and I think if we want to strengthen a food system approach, and I would like to emphasize we are not talking only about the agriculture production, but about the processing, the transport, food loss and waste and diets. And I think this is important to understand. And what we need is to raise awareness for this. And I think that's what we exactly have achieved 
to the UN Food Systems Summit with the way with the preparation of the summit and also the summit themselves. We raised awareness at the member state level. We had about 160 member states talking about food system, talking about food system transformation, and especially the one who are, have relevance in implementing and developing the NDCs, the Ministers for Environment and Agriculture, have been deeply involved in this process. Secondly, and I think that's also important, we have a better understanding what are the priorities to, for a food system transformation and to foster a systemic change. And uh, that's again over the last months in a very collaborative process with civil society, science, government, UN entities and the private sector. We have developed the so-called coalition. And this coalition, I always said, this is the ingredients for a food system transformation. And these are the ingredients also for mitigation and adaptation actions for uh, reducing the greenhouse gas emission. And once again, to emphasize, we also have to consider the food loss and waste, the diets and the consumption part. And finally, and uh, just on a short note, is um, the target of this UN Food System Summit was uh, to submit for the, to the implementation on actions at national and regional level for the implementation of the SDGs. And if we talk about the NDCs, the NDCs have the same target. They have to contribute to sustainable de development. And so we are, we are aligned, we are in a good way. The question is what's happening now. Over to, back to you. Thank you. Uh, and Rebecca Carter, bringing you in, uh, based on the World Resources Institute's work on resilience and other analysis of the NDCs, what critical gaps do you see with respect to adaptation? Are the NDC commitments transformative enough? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Great question. And, um, you know, I will say that WRI has also um, done an analysis of adaptation NDCs through a slightly different lens than what FAO used. They did more of a deep dive on agriculture than we did. Um, but, you know, I think what we did find was largely aligned, um, that there is more specific detail about what agricultural NDCs will look like. We also found a lot of increase in um, the number of water-related specific actions. And, of course, water is essential to agriculture, so we know that in a lot of cases those are linked. Um, in our analysis, we did look for specific instances of transformative adaptation. And we found that when we looked for that word, we did not find it used very often. It was really just a, a handful of countries that used it. But when we unpacked it a little bit, as per the IPCC definition, we found that, for example, there was um, an increase in the number of countries that talked about like scaling up the types of changes they're making to the point where they would lead to real systems change, which is what transformation is all about. That, you know, that, that's what we mean by the word. That's what the IPCC means. Um, we also found a slight increase in innovations that we would consider transformative. Um, we did not find... Uh, many instances of places that talked about the need to actually move um, where agriculture takes place, you know, where like particularly climate sensitive types of crops are being produced. In some instances, you know, th there's going to have to be some movements um, where things are produced. We did not find a whole lot of inclusion of that so far. Uh, thank you. Klumos uh, and Ian Gary, we're going to come back to you now. Uh, what role do the NDCs and the Paris Agreement targets play in the World Bank's strategy or decisions around finance for agriculture and food systems? 
Um, the Paris Agreement plays an important role uh, in informing the World Bank's uh, finance decisions. As an example, since uh, Paris, um, the proportion of our investments in our agriculture and food uh, projects that actually goes to climate action has more than doubled. So from 28% to 59% quite recently, and you expect this will continue to increase. Um, in fact, our new climate change action plan, which we just received, uh, released earlier this year, also commits the bank, not just in agriculture, but across our investments to increase financing for climate action, but also to ensure that there is a good balance between adaptation and mitigation. And in this same uh, climate change action plan, and I think more importantly, the bank aims to align our new operations with the goal of uh, the Paris Agreement by July 2023. Now, what this means is that our financial flows to our client countries will need to be consistent with the pathways towards lower emissions and climate resilient development. And so all our projects that we support will either actively advance this goal or at the very least not hinder its attainment. Uh, thank you. Uh, and let's turn back to Hans Loth now. Uh, looking to the future, how are banking systems seeking to transform to address the need for climate change mitigation and adaptation? Thank you, Mark. Yeah, that's a very important question. Um, and, and there are several trends that I would like to mention briefly. Um, we see um, uh, a trend towards more financial tools that we can offer to supply chains because supply chains need to make that transition happen. And we talk about blended finance, as I spoke to before, where you crowd in public and private finance at the same time and you literally blend it. Uh, but we can also see more sustainability-linked loans coming up where you literally uh, provide a loan to a farmer or a company with uh, environmental and social KPIs attached to it. Um, KPI stands for targets. So you do see a trend where banks can nudge a system towards that change and also support and enable it. What we also see is a more strict uh, risk and portfolio management system. Um, so the laggards uh, will be um, exited, if you will. So there will be a more strict management of a client base happening uh, for all the banks. We will be better at monitoring impact. You see biodiversity monitors popping up where you literally can see what the impact of your finance is on the land use, on species, uh, biodiversity, etc. So together um, with tools that are around innovation, such as carbon banking, we can really help make that transformation happen together with our client base and our farmers. Back Thank you. you. Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Hans. And uh, Martina Fleckenstein, are there gaps in both the outcome of the UN Food System Summit and current NDCs that we need to be paying more attention to? Yes, uh, as already mentioned, I think the focus is still if you consider the current NDCs and the updated one, it's very much on the production side. So we still have a huge gap and on the integration of food loss and waste of diets of the whole consumption part. And I think there is a lot of possibilities in mitigation and adaptation action. And the second thing, and I think that's also, um, we need a better linkage of the overall policy processes. At the moment, we are still too much captured, still in silos. 
For example, we have done a, a small example or exercise on uh, soil organic carbon carbon sequestration, which is in the NDCs, in this UN triple, uh, um, UNFCCC process, but it's the same topic in the UNCCD, in the land conversion. And, and I think under the land degradation neutrality targets. And that's exactly where we have to get and to synchronize more. Very often it's the same, very often it's different ministries. And I think if we have, if we want to be successful, we really have to get out of this silo thinking. And a collaboration at that point at national level is more than urgent. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And it's a recurring theme in moderating these panels that we need to get out of these kind of silo thinkings if we want to make the kind of transformative actions that I think we all uh, deem is absolutely necessary. So thank you for that. Uh, Rebecca Carter, to you, uh, digital climate advisory services are one measure widely seen as essential to adaptation. What is the current state of these services and how can they be used to support transformative adaptation? Yeah, thanks, Mark. <clears throat> I think digital climate advisory services have the potential to be one of the most exciting solutions to the challenges that global agriculture faces. Um, there's a lot of potential to scale them up. I would say at this point, they're gaining traction, but there's a lot more work to be done. Um, we recently worked with several partners to produce a blueprint for digital climate-informed advisory services. We worked with the Global Center on Adaptation, um, Columbia IRI, um, the World Food Program, World Business Center, or World Business Council for Sustainable Development, and over 150 other stakeholders to develop this blueprint. And what we found is that while it would cost about $7 billion between 2021 and 2030 to effectively build the resilience of 300 million small-scale agriculture producers around the world, you know, if we just focus on these producers who are the most vulnerable to climate change impacts, and at the greatest danger of being left behind as climate impacts intensify, you know, it sounds like a lot of money, $7 billion. But on the other hand, the evidence shows that investments in digital climate advisory services average a one to 24 return on investment and can actually drive GDP growth. Um, we found that producers <clears throat> may see an average, may see average productivity gains of about 30% and income gains of 25%, depending on the, the digital products used and the geography that we're that we're looking at. So again, there's great potential and a lot of opportunity, particularly for helping the, you know, the small agriculture producers who who are the most vulnerable. And that would of course need to be done with a, a combination of public and private sector investment. So glad to hear the other panelists talking about the potential for private sector investment. Thank you. Thank you. I have one last round of questions for each of you looking at what more uh, we can do to uh, meet and, and increase the ambition of the NDCs. Uh, so Klomos and Yingari, over to you. How is the World Bank rising to the challenge of increasing ambition for climate change action in the agriculture and food sector in this second five-year period of the NDCs and to support decarbonization in general? Um, the bank is doing several things, um, and I'll highlight just a, a few for you, Mark. Um, first of all, you know, I would like to say that we have identified agriculture and food systems as one of the key transitions that are really needed to achieve uh, decarbonization. So this is great. That means, you know, a strong attention on the sector. And apart from just simply increasing our share of financing that goes to climate action in agriculture and food, we also aim to focus on those climate smart investments that will really drive high impact 
for the economies, for people, and for the environment. And so in this case, you know, some of the obvious areas that have been discussed here by colleagues, you know, focus on sustainable rice production, sustainable livestock production, and healthy soils. And of course, in agreement with Martina as well, certain areas which have not really received a lot of attention, such as uh, sustainable agricultural value chains and food loss and waste could also really be areas where we'll provide strong focus for impact. And of course, you know, tracking that impact is going to be very, very important. And here, monitoring, reporting and verification systems, I think, really need to be set up. And as the bank, we are really working to pilot some systems in these high impact areas, such as soils, over the next couple of years. And in closing, I would say, uh, you know, currently we are also working on some knowledge work to identify specific areas where investment are really required to decarbonize and also working with our clients across the world to repurpose public policies and finance programs so as to drive more finance into these high impact areas in the sector. Thank you. Uh, and Hans Loth, can you highlight one initiative that you are especially excited about that will support transformative action towards the Paris Agreement goals? Yes, Mark, thanks. Um, there's there's a particular uh, initiative that we're proud of, uh, which is uh, setting up the AGI3 fund, which we did indeed together with partners. Uh, one takeaway for today is that uh, we need to get out of silos and we need to partner up. Uh, what we did together with UN Environment, with FMO, a Dutch Development Bank, uh, IDH, a Dutch uh, Fair Trade Organization, and Rabobank themselves, but in partnership with the Dutch government, is set up a fund to unleash uh, finance to farmers to support them in their transition to more sustainable food production, which is really exciting. Um, the eligibility of projects is around preventing deforestation, uh, promote sustainable agriculture, and improve rural livelihoods. So it really generates access to finance that within the current banking system is just difficult and we wanted to fast track that. So I'm really excited that this fund with partners can help make the speed that we need. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and Martina Fleckenstein, can the UN Food Systems Summit Coalition's National Pathways and National Dialogues be a model for improvement and implementation of the NDCs? Yes, uh, I could answer this also with a very clear yes. I think and WWF has been deeply involved in this overall process, and it was an amazing collaborative process, as already mentioned, with thousands of people discussing about a food system. And if we want to design NDCs, this should be an inclusive process, and it should get in, uh, inputs from exactly these people. And I think this is a very good model to roll out to get really input from the people on the ground in the development of the NDCs. And just let me mention the UN, uh, the National uh, Food System Dialogues, which have been organized at a global level in more than 150, um, uh, more than 150 national dialogues, a huge number of independent dialogues. Yeah, this was generated with a with a stakeholder, stakeholder who provided input how a transformation of food system should look like. And we could copy this process also to get input uh, for the NDCs, for the implementation, for actions on the ground. And let me close with also that this outcome of the National Food System Dialogues will be reflected and should be reflected in the national pathways. 
So we are on a good way and I think it could be and might be hopefully a good model for the further development of ambitious NDCs. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And Rebecca Carter, over to you to close us out. What kinds of transformation will the World Resources Institute help to support in the future to meet innovation needs for adaptation? Yeah, so I think, as I mentioned earlier, um, systems thinking is a very big part of transformation. And I think WRI is well positioned to contribute to that. When we think about what needs to be done, we think about sort of kind of three revolutions that need to be made. Um, the first one is an understanding, and we've been talking about sort of innovations. I talked about digital climate advisory services, for example. Um, we've talked about finance, some of the other panelists focused on that. But there's also kind of changes in public policies and processes that um, WRA is contributing to and that I think are an equally important part of transformation. And so just as an example of that, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to focus for a minute on the need to strengthen the global community's focus on equity, on making sure that as transformations to lead to low carbon um, resilient pathways go forward, that they are bringing in the most vulnerable, you know, the people who are really be hit, being hit, hit the hardest by climate change impacts. Um, one way that WRI is doing this is by supporting the principles for locally led adaptation. And we are certainly not alone in this. Um, it, they have been endorsed also by organizations like UNDP, Irish Aid, Adaptation Fund, um, FCDO, the has put locally led adaptation kind of at the center of, of COP this year. And so by implementing these principles, which include things like devolving decision-making and budgets, very important to include actually devolving funding to the ground level where implementation has to happen. Um, you know, I, I think measures like this that improve the inclusivity of public processes are really important. And are also essential to leading to transformative adaptation, transformative mitigation, and the kinds of changes that we all hope that this current round of NDCs will lead to. Uh, well, thank you all for your time. Again, we are speaking just days before the uh, COP26. This could not be a more urgent and timely discussion. So huge thank you to our panelists today. I am now going to turn the floor over to Sonero Costa Jr. of CCAFS, who will uh, lead us from here. Uh, over to you, Sonero. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the panelists and to CCAS for organizing this session ahead of COP26 in Glasgow. We will have much more on this major international climate conference in the coming days. So stay tuned. See you next time. Bye.